Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is kind of a big deal. Atina Rachel Sangari, a filmmaker who played a crucial role in the recent Greek New Wave. Well, several roles, actually. She designed a number of projections and displays for major national events, including the 2004 Athens Olympics. She produced Yogos Lathimos' Kineta, Dogtooth and Alps, among other films. And she wrote and directed the remarkable Attenberg and Chevalier. Last year, Atina directed Attenberg's Ariane Lebed in Trigonometry, a charming dramedy about a London couple who find themselves seriously attracted to their new border. The series aired on the BBC earlier this year and arrived on CBC Gem in Canada earlier this month. You should check it out. It's pretty good. Atina chose Atlantics, Mati Diop's quietly fantastical drama about a young woman named Ava, played by Mama Sane, whose lover Suleiman, played by Ibrahima Traore, leaves her behind to find work in Europe and never returns. And though Ava seems fated to marry another man, she can't quite let Suleiman go, possibly because her grief is too profound to shake, and possibly because he's literally haunting her. This is someone else's movie. I love the hybridity of it and the in-betweenness. You know, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's, 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 it's in a way like all of Matty's work, you know, between fiction and nonfiction. And what I admire the most in it is the way she, you know, she took like a universal um, issue, you know, which is like the, the migrant story. Mm-hmm. And she couched it in a genre movie. Yeah. And it's a genre movie that tricks you into receiving it as a genre movie too right because nothing there it doesn't tip its hat for about 45 minutes really that that is where it's going exactly so you know i find this quite genius you know that she starts um her story in a certain way and then suddenly it becomes like a ghost story a zombie story while at the same time it's it's so political and at the same time it's you know a heartbreaking love story yeah. Um, you know, how do you, how does one do this? Uh, and I mean, to me, you know, I had seen her short films, um, and you know, the initial short film Atlant- Atlantique, mm-hmm. um, 10 years ago. And it's, you know, I think it's, it's an impressive and a good example, I think for me on how you take something that you know, you want to talk about um, and you, you just keep layering it. So it's yeah. the layers, you know, that it keeps feeling um, is that, the, you know, what I'm really fascinated with. And also the fact that, um, you know, it, she did field work, you know, so she did her work. Um, you know, she's half, you know, Senegalese by origin, you know, mm. but she's a French filmmaker um, who grew up in Paris. So, you know, the fact that she went to Dakar and she, she you know, she did street casting. She found all of her actors, most of her actors in the street. Um, and, you know, it, it's actually really moving to me because I met Mati uh at in cambridge oh. in boston you know i was teaching at harvard and she had the the radcliffe fellowship 
and we met there and you know we were kind of like mutual fans of each other's work and we became friends and you know that's when she was writing uh atlantique so it was you know to me it's really moving to suddenly you know to, to sort of like know the process of how a script is being developed and suddenly becomes this event on the screen yes um i was yeah i was just i saw the film in toronto actually oh no not a can no no I wasn't in Cannes, but I was, you know, I was in Toronto uh, this last edition. I was part of the platform jury. Mm -hmm. So I was, um, you know, it was great to see it with Marty there. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it, not only I was, I'm, I'm impressed, but I really think that it's, um, you know, it's a film that I would like to show all of my students on how you take something that is personal and universal, political, at the same time, very sensual, and all of it under the guise of a, of a genre film. It's and a, all of that, you know, as a, as a female biracial filmmaker. Yeah, it, it has a, I was gonna say there's a seductive quality in the way that it sort of tricks you into taking its next steps with it mm -hmm. she 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 really does lead the viewer into this into this into the first it's a mystery then it's a then it's a supernatural mystery a paranormal yeah. some other sort of aspect of it but it's it struck me I, I watched it again last night uh just to prep for this and there's that little tiny moment it's not even a perspective shift it's just a moment where the movie suddenly gets so much wider when ada comes home and and is just told casually oh no Suleiman left they're gone mm -hmm. they've all just gone and this this entire section of the film disappears it's removed from us but that also expands the world by creating the migrant story by adding in it's not just going to be about this little town it's not just going to be about this cluster of women and, and their boyfriends or husbands it's going to be about the absence mm -hmm. It's so it's it's perfect. It's genius, but not to see it, not to have a goodbye. He doesn't say anything yeah, to her. Just it's just which is yeah. exactly, you know, she did cinematically what exact, you know, in the perfect way and unceremoniously, exactly the same way. Suddenly they they disappear and they claimed by the ocean. Yeah, yeah, um, and, you know, and they, they they return in the film. They cause a return to the ocean, or the fact that in the sound. She always has the ocean as this um, subliminal texture, yeah, you yeah. know, in all of the soundtrack. And there's this, uh, yeah. So you think that you, you know, you're gonna watch a love story, you know, like a Romeo and Juliet kind of story between yeah. those two lovers, um, you know, while she's she's being married to someone else. Then and it becomes. You know, then it becomes, you know, the typical, not typical, but kind of like, like, okay, I'm going to see a migrant story about the, um, you know, all of these men, you know, who travel the ocean to get to Europe. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And on that, it's also, you know, you can think, oh, that's great. She's telling the story from the perspective of the people who don't leave. I've never seen this before. I've never seen this treatment of the story before. It's a new angle. That's impressive. And then, no, that's not where this is going at all. This is just completely other. And that moment, and again, there's there's that, it's that moment maybe 45 minutes in or 50 minutes in where the women just get up and walk. And it's mm-hmm. un nerving i i was i remember the first time i saw it i was just you know the whole room gasped nobody knows, nobody knows because it doesn't look right there's there's nothing in the film that prepared you for that tactic the way they walk with the stiff legs yes. and the arms flat out it's just it's, just, it's wrong <laughs> and again the whole film pivots and you can just feel your perspective shaking because the, the movie isn't behaving the movie's not doing what it's supposed to do mm-hmm. um, um but it is it absolutely watching it again it absolutely is. It's setting all of it up because she's been doing the things you said, the soundtrack cues, and she's been bringing it towards this moment. And when that happens, it's the film just sort of sharpens into a point, and that's where we are now. And there's subtle little there, subtle I mean, things. Yeah, just... there is a liberating freedom. She's really not apologetic or even self-conscious, you know. And there is, I think, there is a sense of economy. You know, it's it's risky what she did, because you know at any moment if you don't do it right, you know if you don't have this kind of balance, this sense of economy that Mati has in all of her work, and I know that she's you know a very hard critic of herself, um, and a you know a perfectionist. So, you know, at any moment if she lost that balance, you know it you know there was a risk to become you know, gratuitous or too eclectic or, you know, pedantic or um, indulgent or... But, you know, that's why, you know, this... um, You know, I was reading, actually, before we got on the call, um, the article that Dennis Lim uh, wrote for Film Comment. You know, and he talks about, I think that's the right way to describe in general Matty's work, you know, this in-betweenness. Um, where, you know, you it's kind of like it's there's this shifting sand under your feet, uh, you know, as a viewer. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her previous films. Uh, the shorts I have seen. Yeah. I haven't. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, yeah, there's a word in English, liminal. Um, Liminal, that uh-huh. uh, that that's that thing. It's it's the, the not the perspective, the precipice between one thing and another. It's the mm-hmm. boundary mm-hmm. when something exists only in that space. That's that's where it comes from. I think it always makes me think of twilight or dawn, where the where the light is just starting to come through, right. where the darkness is just starting to take over. And so much of so much of her work exists in there because I think that's what fascinates her. Why would she? tell us what's going on mm-hmm. explicitly why would she that would just let the you know if we find out through the character's experience then it's so much more involving yeah and at the same time it's you know again it's um it's um you know it's a feat of not just economy but also of her passionate and very intimate understanding of her characters um, because you really feel for all of them, you know. So it's not, it's not an exercising style. It's not um, um, 
you know, a dry treatise on, you know, the eternal story of the migrant narrative. Um, you know, you, you, just, you just feel for, for all of these girls, particularly the girls. And it reminds me, uh, you know, and for the poor detective, you know, who suddenly, he's trying to investigate something, and he gets possessed by the, the you know, the, the thing that he's trying to solve. I mean, I think, I mean, it's, how amazing is that? You know, it's yeah, that's a, it's a movie almost, in itself. It's almost Lynchian. Um, yeah, and, and, the, and it doesn't help either. That that's yeah. right. It doesn't resolve anything for him. It just yeah. makes it more, yeah, more incomprehensible. And even, I mean, that that's a film in itself. If you wanted to, I mean, yeah, you could actually completely. tell that story from his perspective. Mm-hmm. But sorry, you were about to say something. Uh, yeah, and you know the the girls uh, who stay behind. It really, you know, and I'm not sure if it's something that Matty had had read. I don't remember we had discussed that back then, but. You know, it's like the Trojan women, uh, the mm-hmm. tragedy by Aeschylus. So it's oh yes, it's, um, it's sort of like the power of a group of women taking action. You know, in the absence of the men, mm-hmm. um, and taking revenge. You know, it's a it's a pri- primordial story. And I love the way she has retold it in such a modern way. I guess that's what it is. It's a very modern uh, film without being academically experimental. Yeah, that's fair. You know what I mean? You know, to be able to actually do something that is... Take so many risks in terms of form and content, and at the same time to be a film that appeals to a large audience. You know, I mean, Netflix uh, bought it, and it's you know it was shown, it streamed, and people who normally wouldn't see a film like that saw it and loved it. So it's also a triumph of how personal cinema can become commercial cinema. Yeah, it's true. I would not have thought that this film would appeal to Netflix. I mean, I suppose once Critical Buzz started, they they do have that thing where they're mm-hmm. they're courting the Oscars. They would very much like to win as many as possible, and I think they saw it at, as having a shot for foreign language film. And so maybe that was the gambit. But it is it's an unlikely title for them. They tend to like yeah things with shooting and and swords and yelling and and broad comedy. And this doesn't care about any of those aspects it just really only wants to tell out a story mm-hmm. and and be there and, and occupy the space the the way that yeah the way that the camera just fixes on people's faces and bodies yeah and doesn't care what else is going on mm-hmm. the, the i love the way that she i mean it's obviously part of it is just a visual effect choice but to to push the building away this, the yeah. reason that everything is happening, it's there all the time. We can never get away from exactly. it, but we never get a really clear look at it. It's not that important to her. Uh, you know, for Ada, it, it represents all of the reasons she's lost her lover. Exactly. But, and it's just not important. It's, you know, but the, it's the specter. Mm-hmm. The specter of, I guess, capitalism. 
Yeah, um, and and as you say, it is absolutely a 21st century narrative in that money drives everything, mm-hmm. um, including suffering and sorrow. I mean, of course, but but every decision is made based on what the the yield will be, what the value is in the future, mm-hmm. and um, it's including Ada's future, uh, which is decided by other people, not by her. She's um, she's told she can't marry the poor man and has to marry the man with better standing, but then that choice is taken away from her when Suleiman leaves. And yeah, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that Isa is a bad person exactly. He doesn't seem too terrible. Mm-hmm. He's just not her true love, and so right. that's where you know like my brain is trying to process it from that side of the story, the Romeo and Juliet thing you've mentioned, and mm-hmm. that again, that's not. That's not what she cares about. That's not where this movie is going. Exactly. I can't think of, you know, maybe a handful of films have pulled that off as well. Um, to, to just pull the rug out from under you completely and tell you that the thing you've been watching isn't the thing you've been watching. Can you think and of not, one right now? Just. Uh, I mean, there, there, there's... What am I thinking of? I'm thinking of heist movies. I'm thinking of, mm. you know, The Prestige and, and films like that, oh, where right. the, the only point of it is the twist. Great movie. It's fun, but it's not, you know, it doesn't linger in the same way. This I mean, is, I remember this is when actually the, really enjoying that, exactly because, you know, there is a... I mean, I love cinema that's so visceral, you know, mm-hmm. where basically, you know, your entire body reacts to it. Yeah. Um, ah, and the you know, and the thing with Uncle Antique is that it is poetic and it's visceral and it's a ghost story and it's also an ethnographic film and it's a tragedy, but at the same time, it's you know entertaining. You know, it becomes yeah. a a zombie film. I mean, <laughs> what? It is. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> But a fun one, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's not, it's it's. There's that moment of disconcerting horror, but once it resolves, and it, mm-hmm. you know, after the women all sprint across the road, they just sit down and talk to someone. It's it's it, yeah. it refuses to be a horror movie again. It just yeah. goes back to being observational. And yeah, the zombie elements aren't traditional classical zombies. It's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. more about what would happen if you came back from the dead. You'd probably be really sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be. It would. It's the. It's the speech at the end. You know that your eyes stayed with me. The, the right. the sense of the sense of heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and it, also you know the whole idea of the double. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love movies with double. You know the idea of the double. You know whether that's vertigo, whether it's. Um, Oh, uh, what was I going to say? Dress to Kill, things like yeah, that. The body, exactly. uh, the classic, um, body, the doppelganger yeah. fake out. Yeah, the Palma, you know. I just love it. Um, you know, there's something, I guess, very psychoanalytical about it. You can't avoid, you can avoid that. You know, so yeah. the fact that she actually, you know, Slips with the with Suleiman through the detective. Mm-hmm. You know how beautiful is that? Yeah, yeah, it's true, and still Lynchian, as you know, yeah. because you have the you have that wonderful 
any well anytime anybody brings in overheated emotion and fantasy that it becomes lynchian i think but mm-hmm. she doesn't she creates her own um language for yeah. it her own her own lexicon and her own tone i yes. think it is a matter of tone you know it's it's not so much i mean you know more than a century later i mean i'm not sure how we can talk about new language in cinema mm-hmm. uh, but I'm fascinated by the endless inventions and nuances of tone yeah. so you know Maybe it's, it's not like whether you shoot something handheld or you know you use cranes or whatever and it's not whether you use the tropes of horror or noir or the lighting or whatever but it's it's the individual tone that I think creates cinema. Yeah. It's not so much a language as an accent, I think. Mm-hmm. It's just the way you express it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you did it with Attenberg in the first five minutes, where I remember sitting there and thinking, <laughs> oh, this is new. I haven't seen this. I don't know what this is. I don't know what to make of it. And then the, show, the film shows you how to interpret it, and we are led to understand it. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the film, it's like, yep, yeah, I, I get it. That, uh, you know, it, it took what ninety three minutes to learn a new language, um, but it's not that it's not that hard because we do have this built in understanding of how to interpret things. Um, it's funny we just recently Semichellis brought the writer onto the podcast and we talked about the the hybrid nature of Chloe Zhao and how she tells her stories. Right. Yeah. And it's it's not dissimilar, is it? Because there's a, the no. landscapes and the interaction of people in that space are all just as essential. But yeah, I think after a hundred years of cinema, we figured out how to interpret. As long as the director knows what she's doing, I can understand the larger intent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's and it comes back. I think you're right. I think it comes back to tone and the um, and the confidence, right, that the film has that I that I don't start to double think, to start to second mm-hmm. guess what it is that's going on. Mm-hmm. And Atlantics is she's so good at creating that. At casting that spell, at just at just making mm. me lean in instead of away to see what happens next. And we're talking actually about the similarities with uh, Chloe Zhao's work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you know, I think it's there's actually a kinship, and I think they're kind of like uh, maybe, you know, almost in the same generation of filmmakers who. Mm. Um, you know, work a lot with um, real stories, yeah, um, and real people as the characters. I mean, Mati actually did casting. They're actors, but they're you know non-actors. Right. So that's a and you know it's it's it's. It's not implausible that her actress could be Ada at any moment of her real life. Um, so yeah, I think that it's almost like a, a school, you know, it's kind of like a, it's not new because, you know, the idea of doing almost this kind of, you know, cinema verite fictional films is not a new thing, but it I think it has come back in a very fresh and modern way. Um, yeah. 
we're rediscovering the potential mm-hmm. somehow, right? Of what it is to yeah. to take a hybrid story. And to, also, you know, I really appreciate the 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 dedication, the commitment to field work. Um, you know, like Chloe spent many years. I mean, she was um, she was a fellow when I was. Uh, at Sundance, at their at their screenwriters, uh, at the directors' lab. Oh yeah. So I actually met her, you know, when she was developing her first script, her first film. Oh, uh, songs my brother's talking. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I was really impressed by, uh, you know, she was very young. She had just, I think, graduated from NYU, and she was just doing her work. You know, she was in. I don't remember where it's taking place. Um, oh, South Dakota. South Dakota, yeah. yeah. You know, she was there in the reservation and, you know, months after months and stitching her story and finding her characters and finding her cast and living there. You know, there is a commitment. It's not like you write something that you don't know about and then you just go, you know, you do your production in a couple of months and you leave. You know, it's... which. You know, and not, it's a similar process that Mati did. You know, she was there for a couple of years. Really, in Dakar? In Dakar, yeah. You know, not continuously, but, you know, she was com- committed. You know, not just to go and do a surface job um, just because she's entitled to her origins. You know, that, that really shouldn't be enough. Yeah, um, no, and, I mean, the, the film is not a work of tourism. She's absolutely, like, she's mm-hmm. she's got the textures and she's got the, the rhythms of... from inside. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. Ad- identification herself, I mean, I, I, felt, I felt like Mati was part of Ada. Yeah. Which part would you, I mean, you know her um, better than I, so I'm, I'm always curious about this. You know, I just, I just felt like she completely understood that character. I felt like it was there. There was an identification there. Um, there was a sort of like a a camaraderie. You know, so it mm-hmm. it's good to feel like as a director that the way you are with your cast or with your characters, it's part of an extended family. You know, this is the sense that I got, and I think that's why it's so effective. You know, because it. it it felt that she was just part of. She was just part of that gang. Um, yeah. Sort of walking alongside them, catching what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, you know, you that. can imagine that you know she had, she had danced with them and she had, chatted with them and she had, you know, shared stories with them. It's it's kind of like this essence that you feel like it's like between the lines and between the frames. It's just something that you sense the intimacy and you sense the truth. And the re- the rapport that's formed. Yeah. And also, you know, the, the rapport with your own film. I'm not sure how to explain this, you know, but it's, you know, as a filmmaker, it, it's, you know, when I watch films, I, I'm not quite like the, you know, whatever, innocent viewer, you know, I always question and I I question what I feel and what I don't feel and how much I let go and how much I don't. Sure, yeah, so, I know that well. you know, I remember 
you know, watching it in the midst of a, a really huge audience in Toronto. And I felt that intimacy in the viewers, in the audience. So that's a, that's a triumph, you know, yeah. the triumph of intimacy and of truth. And, to, it's a- and, and truth in something that, you know, you never know what is real and what is not real and what is false and what is not, you know? I, th- I think mm-hmm. that's, that's incredible how to be able to do that. And there's only a, a handful of directors who actually, you know, Hitchcock being one of them, or Lynch, sure. for example. Yeah. Um, it, it's, or, I think, the understanding of mystery, right? The, the yeah. present, we're presented with something that we want to solve. Yeah. And the film just denies us that as long as it possibly can exactly. to pull us closer, to draw us in. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, Chantal Ackerman is another example of that. You know, yeah. so she's, you know, she's in, um, you know, she's the, what do you call that? The, the inheritor? Heir? The heir? Yeah, heir, you could say. Yeah, that could work. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's that space that she creates in... Um, uh, well, it's in John Dealman, but it's it's also in um, it's in all of her films, really. But that space where we're allowed to watch someone and scrutinize them to yeah. really mm-hmm. just look closer. Yeah, and also like the most um, you know journal films by Ackerman, you know, like mm-hmm. Letters from Home. Oh, her own work, yeah. Yeah. Her like her her autobiographical stuff, mm-hmm. documentaries. It's a mystery that we want to... We, well, it's not even a mystery that we want to solve. It's just a, a, a personality or a psyche that we want to understand. Mm-hmm. I think, for me. I just want to... I just, I'm, It's the empathy impulse. I just want to know right. why. Mm-hmm. So you are interested in empathy when you watch a film? I think so. I think I naturally want that. Even uh, if you watch I, blockbusters? It's harder. I will, <laughs> I will admit... But yeah, I think the. But I think that's the missing ingredient in blockbusters. I think so. I think you know, empathy not when only when you're a, you know, fourteen-year-old boy. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm sure they feel plenty of empathy. (laughs) Yes. Well, we're about the same age, and I was I was raised on Jaws, and I was Mm -hmm. raised on Close Encounters, films that are, you know, huge American entertainment machines, but also that center human beings in their stories. Oh man, totally. Yeah, and and Absolutely. Jaws only by accident, right? Because they the shark didn't work, and they had to come up with something to yeah. do for the first hour. <laughs> but it's brilliant. It's genius. Yeah. And of all the things, uh, amazingly enough, as as far as blockbusters go, I think the Marvel movies have have done not ex- not consistently, but some of them when they do it right, they'll cast an actor who can carry that and give you yeah. you know Downey or Paul Rudd even in the Ant Man films. He's he's a great physical presence but he's also a fun emotional connection for the audience to try to care a little yeah what a great actor he is Rudd or Downey or both really both both of them yeah Um, yeah and that that does give me the investment that I think makes it mm -hmm. all the difference yeah and now of course you know we were just talking about this Semi and I were talking about this on her episode and and Chloe Zhao is directing a Marvel movie. She's directing The Eternals. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, so, see, it all makes sense. It's insane. Um, I, and I think it's, like, really, uh, whoever thought of that, 
you know, that gives me so much hope, you know, for the future of cinema because, you know, to have Chloe direct, you know, a blockbuster, you know, and bring that kind of empathy and bring that kind of, you know, detailed um, character study that she does. And at the same time, you know, she's a, a very visual director. So, you know, great, great, great. You know, more of that should happen, you know. More yeah. women and more uh, directors in general are coming from, like, you know, not calling card films. Because I'm yeah. sure she didn't make her films thinking, oh, with this, I'm going to be called, you know, by Marvel. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the so, end goal of any filmmaker now. Yeah. Uh, well, not, uh, would... not really, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, but as though it were. I mean, it, it, because now it is a possible pathway. Um, the, the person who wrote the Black Widow movie directed The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, which was one of my favorite American films of the last decade. I haven't and seen that, actually. Yeah, neither had Semi. It's um, Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, Bill Hader, uh, Kieran Hines. Who else is in it? It's, it's, there's a, I'll, I'll email you the details. I wonder why it went under my radar. Harvey. Oh. If only I pushed him into the canal that one time oh, we were both in Vienna. No one. I know, it's my own failing. Terrible. Um, but then, and then Ned Benson goes dark and no one hears from him for several years and then he shows up as the screenwriter of the Black Widow movie. It just wow. happened. Wow. It's a weird, weird place. But well, this you is should, where we you are should, You yourself should be an Avenger. <laughs> <laughs> I think Avenger. film critics sometimes should be Avengers. Oh, we'd be terrible superheroes. We'd just be pointing out, we'd be pointing out logical flaws in in the monsters. Yeah, what a waste! Uh, what a waste of uh, talent, of talent or work. Yes, potential. No, we're all the Punisher. That's the worst part. We all think we're the, we're Iron Man, but we're really just the crazy person in the corner. That's how I feel. Uh, it's on a good day. But, um, yeah, so uh, did you want to talk about Ozark? You had mentioned it, and I'm still trying to figure out how they fit together. You're welcome to. If, if Ozark. You... Oh, my God. You had mentioned it as a connection, and I'm yes. not sure how. I mean, I know it's, like, against your rules because it's supposed to be one and it's no, supposed no, 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 to be no. a you film. No, 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 you bring it in. You know, it's, it's only because um, I watched it very recently, um, you know, it was shot in the Atlanta area. So, and everyone has been saying lately, you have to watch Ozark, you have to watch Ozark. So I binged it like crazy um, to the point of like self-starvation. I just couldn't <laughs> stop. Um, and my partner just like gave up on me. <laughs> just, you know, just left me on the sofa. Um, and, you know... I I thought it might be interesting to, not it's not comparing. It's just, you know, these are both stories about um, possession. You know, you become possessed by a force, um, yeah. an invisible force, which is omnipotent and it's ever present. Um, so I thought, you know, it was kind of interesting, you know, you have like, you know, the possessed people who have been left behind in Dakar or, you know, all over the world. Um, and basically, 
mourning or resisting this absence or negotiating it or revenging it, avenging yeah. it. And then, you know, at Ozark, you also have a different kind of possession because, you know, I've never seen... It's, um, it almost has a structure of a video game. Yeah, actually, yeah, now that you mention it, it has a series of bosses and a series oh of... Oh, my God, it's like every, you know, every scene there's a new obstacle and yeah. one of the heroes, you know, has to surpass his obstacle and then there is a new obstacle and a new hurdle and a new obstacle and a new hurdle and a new, you know, a new skill that you have to develop and... Um, and all That's of this true. happens, you know, in a state of possession because these people are possessed. This family, I mean, it's insane, you know. It and it's sort of like this possession, um, which is for survival, and yeah. to actually, you know, beat the enemy, you know, whatever this enemy is, um, you know, that premise um, of the drug cartel. Mm-hmm. Who is everywhere? Yeah, um, it's the, the the classic. I mean, it's. I think it it comes very quickly on the heels of Breaking Bad, right? Where every season ended with a new cliffhanger because that was the elevation of stakes, the escalation of the problem. Right. It, it feels very similar, but Ozark strikes me as one where it's contagious. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just Walter White. It's everybody. Exactly. By the end of this, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the triumph of it. You know what the. What an exquisite, extraordinary ensemble cast. And also, yeah, uh, I think, you know, and I was wondering because I watched one, two, three, basically in the space of embarrassingly like three days. So that means like 10 hours a day. <laughs> that is commitment. Yeah, exactly. I just couldn't I mean, it's stop. not like anything else. And, and you know, I'm not, I'm not a binger and I don't watch very much TV. Like something has to really click with me to actually you know, stand in front of the TV because I'm, I'm mostly, my partner and I, you know, are on a steady diet of films, especially now during the lockdown. Um, so, you know, once I started it, I was just really fascinated by this, that it's, it's actually, I think it, it kind of made sense why it's season three, which premiered, during the lockdown became suddenly so popular you know they are in a lockdown themselves you know it's they are in a lockdown and and sheltering in in place basically in the ozark yeah trapped with each other trapped with each other you know slowly turning on something like 67 percent of the scenes are in that house um and there Mm. is this this fear of contamination of um exposure yeah yeah of exposure uh, but, you know, the fact that, like, every single of these characters is part of this, you know? So it's not just about this one hero. You know, it, I love the fact that, like, in season three, it's, again, and kind of, like, connecting it with Matty's film and the Trojan women, you know, it's all about the women, you know, figuring out how to save the day, um, which I love. You know, and he, you know, he's kind of, it starts with him mostly as the hero. And then in the end, he's just kind of like on the sideline. Um, yeah. And in his kind of like nerdy way, you know, trying to, 
you know, trying to save his family. But I love the fact that, you know, they don't shy away from having the women being the baddies, basically. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Bateman has that really interesting energy where he's never an alpha. Uh, he may convince himself he is, but yeah, there's just something about his his whole he, persona. He's really an incredible actor. Yeah, I think he, it's it's and remarkable I mean, I'm a huge, he's figured out how to use that to his advantage. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of his. Because, you know, how do you make someone who is like alpha and beta at the same time? Mm-hmm. Uh, and also without being, you know, non-acts dramatic. Talking about tone, right? You know, yeah, which yeah. is incredible. Which again, you know, it's not it's not completely insane that I wanted to talk about Ozark and Atlantic at the same time because they really own their tone. You know, they take something. You know, people say it's like Breaking Bad, um, but yeah. it's not. No, only you know, the premise. It, it really, it just it's like not. pushes the envelope in terms of tone, because there is you know everything like the music, the 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 intonation of the delivery of the lines. You know, it's like there is no drama there. I mean, they're about to get killed every single second. And there is like not a a dramatic bone in their body, you know, in the way they deliver that story, the, the way they deliver those lines. Every single character. You know, to the point where, as I said, it, it's like a video game and sometimes like a, a, you know, like a Beckettian theater of the absurd. Yeah. And it never winks. Like it never betrays its tone. No, never. You're right. It's an Not absolute once. consistency. Yeah. You know, I just directed my first series, um, Trigonometry. Trigonometry, yes. Which I really enjoyed. Thank you. Um, and you know, to sort of like maintain this kind of tone. And we were two directors. So, you know, I can't even imagine how it would be, you know, two directors, eight episodes, one season. I can't even imagine how you maintain that kind of consistency, coherence in the writing, in the visual language and in the tone, you know, with all these different directors. So, you know, there must be some really great show running there. (laughs) Yeah, well, and Bateman has directed a number of the episodes himself, yeah, right? So there's that too. That that's it comes back to that sense of trust yeah. in the ensemble. And I was going to say for for trigonometry, you obviously you and Ariane have worked together before, and mm-hmm. that has to make it easier just to know what each other is, not just to know each other personally, but to know what you're capable of and to to be able to to do the give and take. There, that's got to help. Yeah, definitely. No, it's a blessing actually to work with. And I love that, you know, working with actors again and again. Um, and in, you know, especially in a, in a TV series where everything happens in a speed of light mm-hmm. and you hardly have time to think. You just basically react, 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 react. Um, it was actually really good to work with Ariane again, you know, because we really have the same code. Um, so it's all like shorthand, and you know she, she, you know she's an actress who doesn't really ask questions. She just does it, yeah, and she has very sharp instinct. And I don't really like giving, you know, single answers to something. So it's it's it works out really well. And it was the same with Talisa Teixeira and 
and Gary Carr because you know they 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 have a similar kind of instinct as actors you know they just really get in there and it they become very personally committed so you never feel like there is acting yeah or i hope I, so and, you know I, yeah <laughs> yeah well in the way that you structured i mean the first episode was just there are moments in that that really struck me. Just that that silent walk through the apartment. That's a single yeah. take where we just get to see them breathing together, and then the echo of that in the in the bathroom scene at the end, where all three characters are just trapped in a space with their own chemistry. Mm-hmm. That's hard. That's like that's that's hard to act. You just have to sort of exist in that. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to go beyond the first episode for people who are listening yeah, because I just, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid. Know, I'm I'm really grateful for this experience because you know when you make films and especially someone like me who is so so slow I'm like a turtle (laughs) Um, five episodes of television well you know suddenly you know to be ejected to this kind of speed um, it was actually liberating and the fact that you know we were given this unprecedented almost uh, gift of rehearsals because I was rehearsed. Uh-huh. Um, I was rehearsed before any anything I do, you know. So the fact that our producers, um, Tessa Ross and Juliet Howell, they they you know, they really understood that in order to actually succeed into this kind of intimacy and kinship and friendship in something that you know, in chemistry, you know, it wouldn't actually work. You know, if you don't have very much money um, to shoot from, you know, many, many, many days, and you know that you have to shoot sometimes five or six or seven or eight scenes per day, I think the, you know, that use of like 10 days before we started shooting was, um, you know, did, did all the work in a way. So, you know, by the time we went on the set, you know, and I was very lucky to have an amazing crew and Sean Price Williams, who is, um, you know, so kinetic and so tactile with the camera. Yeah, so, you know, again, it's all about finding the code and the tone. And I, you know, I hope that we actually found something there that then it was all about the choreography, um, the daily choreography of that code. You know, it's almost like there is a dance and and you've, you know, you learn the steps of this dance and in the beginning it's a little bit awkward and then in the end you're just flying through the dance. So, you know, that's the way we did it. And when you do it in such a, such a beautiful, um, union between cast and crew you know that's why you make cinema you know for this collective experience and you know for the empathy of that experience yeah and you build a repertory company if you're lucky yeah exactly you know Casavetes for example you know it makes total sense what he did um yeah (laughs) My thanks to Atina Rachel Sangari 
whose new television series Trigonometry is streaming in Canada on CBC Gem right now, and I think you can still catch it in the UK on the BBC iPlayer. She may have only directed the first five episodes, but watch the whole thing. It's good. And then maybe check out Attenberg, which is currently streaming on the Criterion channel. Thanks also to Tanya Cavusolo. She knows what she did. Atina is not on Twitter, or at least not that I could find, but you can find Atlantics on Netflix, and it's also due to join the Criterion Collection on Blu-ray and DVD later this year. That'll be nice. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts in addition to doing my other film stuff. Go take a look. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it, or the show in general, say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're at it. There's some good stuff. Stay inside. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. I'll see you next week.